Well, good morning and welcome to River Oaks. All of you here, those of you joining us online, and thank you to Phoebe Pitacala for that beautiful reading in Telugu. It is so good to have you with us this morning as we continue our study of the book of Romans. Before we begin, I would like to mention just a few opportunities for service in our church. This is the time of year when we typically see our attendance going up a bit as we prepare to enter the Advent season at the end of November. As that happens, we of course need more volunteers. And uh, on the screens before you, you'll see uh, some particular needs. Uh, I rather think of them as opportunities. There is really no more important ministry in our church than our ministry to children. And uh, for those who may feel a calling uh, towards serving our youngest members of the church, we have opportunities in Noah's Ark for our preschoolers and in Kids Rock, where you can serve as a greeter or work uh, in a small group with kids. The contacts are there on the screen. Um, if you would have interest in one of those, some of you may have tech gifts, and those with interest in technology, if you're comfortable behind a computer screen, it takes a number of people, particularly to live stream a service, and we've got a number of opportunities there as well. You can email Brett Canode uh, at the contacts that you see there on the screen. Thank you again for joining us today. It is great to have you with us, and again, welcome to those joining us online like to pray as we open God's Word this morning. Please join me. Father, as we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you again for the baptisms we've witnessed. Thank you for the way your Holy Spirit is working among us, and I pray that you would especially work in our time now as we look into your Word. Work in our hearts and change us each in those ways that only you know we need to be changed. And prepare us, Father, to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, in a short time. We pray now the prayer of Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to give you just a reminder, we will celebrate communion today after the message. And if you did not get one of the little prepackaged cups, those of you who are here, you can get one at the tables in the back or uh, near the main entrance where you came in. Well, we're continuing this morning the, the great New Testament book of Romans. And if you're just joining us, we've said that the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's most systematic explanation of what we call the gospel. Particularly in chapters 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul has laid out what God has done for us through Jesus Christ in his death on the cross and in his resurrection, how through our faith in him we can be forgiven of our sins, considered righteous in the eyes of God, brought into the family, the body of Christ. When we get to chapter 12, the apostle Paul is now teaching us how we can live with renewed minds and transformed lives. Today we come to chapter 14, a chapter that I think has particular relevance for us in the time in which we're living. I think it's a passage that is well-suited for a church world that is divided over any number of cultural, social issues. A little background to Romans 14. 
the early Christian church was made up of believers from very, very different cultural and religious backgrounds. For example, there were in the church those who were Jews, uh, many who were Jews, and they'd come from a religious background in Judaism in which there were many very strict laws, dietary laws, certain kinds of, of meats they could eat, other types they could not eat. And they were, in many cases, forbidden to eat with or even associate with non-Jews. Also in the church, there were many Gentiles, that is, those who were not Jewish. Some of them had been accustomed to worshiping idols. Many of them had been accustomed to buying meat at a meat market outside of an idol's temple, where meat would be offered to idols and sacrificed, then taken outside and sold in the meat market. So all these folks are coming together now in one church. They've embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord. They're one body of Christ, but they're coming with different cultural and religious practices. And so the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church, uh, particularly when it comes to judging one another over some of the things that they brought with them from their cultural backgrounds. And in chapter 14, the passage that Phoebe read for us a moment ago, Paul begins by making this point very strongly. Don't pass judgment on a believer, that is another Christian, someone who has put faith in Jesus as you have. Don't pass judgment on a believer who holds different opinions from your own. We read in verses 1 through 3, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. That is, God has accepted him. That is, each, each one's a believer. Now, what's Paul talking about here? He sets up a contrast between those he refers to as weak and those he considers to be strong in their understanding of the gospel. The strong believer in Paul's presentation is one who has enough understanding of the liberty and the grace and the gospel that he or she can eat anything. That's because Jesus in the gospel of Mark declared all foods to be clean. Uh, the, the Old Testament dietary laws are not binding on a believer. If you want to go out to lunch today and eat a pepperoni pizza or a ham sandwich or a BLT, something with pork, you can do that. You can give thanks to God for it. And so Paul considers himself uh, among the stronger believers. The weak person has come with a conscience that, you know, they still need to only eat vegetables. Now, the reason Paul calls one strong and one weak, he considers one having a better grasp of the liberty provided in the gospel. But his point is this, don't despise one who's got a different opinion from you. How can you despise that one? How can you pass judgment on that one? How can you actually reject that one when God has accepted them as they are? Don't pass judgment on a believer who holds different opinions. Now, what does he mean by opinions here? The New American Standard translates opinions as disputable matters. 
I like that translation because it makes it a little clearer that we're talking about things that genuine believers could dispute. We could hold different opinions about these things. Matters about which genuine Christians may disagree and still be Christians. They are not gospel essentials. And Paul gives two examples in chapter 14 of these disputable matters. These things about which believers may hold different opinions. These things that are not gospel, gospel essentials. He gives two examples in chapter 14. The first has to do with eating of meats. And again, Paul's own view is that the strong person has liberty in the gospel and can eat anything. He makes this clear in verse 14 of the chapter when he writes, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. He's talking about unclean foods. He's saying as a believer, you're not bound by those dietary restrictions. That's his first example that he's focusing on. But he gives a second one in the chapter, and it has to do with observation of certain days as special days that require particular type of behavior. In chapter 14 and verse 5, he writes, one person esteems one day is better than another, Why another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Paul is saying each of these things, eating, observation of certain days, are things about a Christian, which a Christian can have different feelings of conscience, and therefore we should not judge one another over these things. Later writing the Colossians, Paul would write these words in Colossians 2 and verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are things about which Christians may have different views, different feelings of conscience, uh, different attitudes about how one should observe the Sabbath day or not. Different attitudes, feelings, opinions about when one should observe the Sabbath day. Beth and I, my wife and I were driving along a couple weeks ago and I saw a great big billboard on a highway that said, uh, honor the Sabbath day in a great big letters, Saturday. Well, it was very clear that whoever put up the billboard felt like Saturday is the day. Some people have a really strong opinion that Saturday is the day of worship for God. Others of us, the majority, I'm sure of those of us sitting here this morning would say, hey, Sunday's the day the early church began to worship, the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection. But the Apostle Paul would say, as he did in Colossians, many of these things are shadows that find their substance in Jesus Christ. Paul's point is that we're not to judge one another over matters of opinion, disputable matters. And he says, number one, remember that God has accepted him or her, that person with a different attitude. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Boy, that's an important verse to remember, isn't it? 
Who are you to pass judgment on God's servant? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, he or she is not rejected by God for holding a different view on this non-essential matter, so how can you despise or reject that person? Secondly, remember that God is the ultimate judge of a person's heart. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? But why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I think we could save ourselves a whole lot of anxiety if we would do this. We'd worry much less about whether another person is really sincere or insincere or manipulative or really evil inside. God knows and he will ultimately judge. As Paul writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Paul is saying here, we're not to be judging the heart intent of a believer who's got a different opinion on something than we, than we hold. Now, this raises a question. Is there ever an appropriate time to judge? After all, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. Jesus also said in the Gospel of John chapter 7 and verse 24, judge with right judgment. Is there ever a time to judge? Yes, there is. Very briefly, just two times in particular. Um, is there ever a time to judge? Yes, we're to judge actions that could harm the church or individuals. Serious actions. All of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 deals with this person in the Christian church living before the whole church in flagrant immorality. And the Apostle Paul rebukes the church. The leaders should have made a judgment call and addressed this person to preserve the peace and the purity of the church and to try to restore this person to right fellowship with the Lord. And Paul really rebukes the, the, the church for that. Typically, this is something church leaders should, should do. And secondly, we're to judge doctrine and teachings. Just a couple chapters later, right here in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own appetite. Now wait a minute. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said people can have different opinions and we're to welcome them. We're to accept them. We're not to reject or despise them. And here in chapter 16, he's talking about people who cause divisions, create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine, doctrine we've received, and we're to avoid them. What's the difference? Here, here, I think, is the difference. 
It is one thing to have a weak believer who has not yet fully understood all the grace and the gospel. It is another thing completely when a false teacher comes in to the church and tries to contradict the grace of the gospel by teaching people that you must keep certain practices. You have to abstain from certain meats. You have to observe certain days. You have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And I think that is the distinction. Paul is addressing here in the 16th chapter, false teaching. Um, churches are to judge doctrine. We're to judge false prophets. We're to even observe their fruit. As Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. So Paul welcomes the weak believer and says we should too. He warns against the false teacher and calls for judgment. And we should too. So just to recap, his, his first point, I think, in this chapter, don't pass judgment on a believer who holds different opinions from your own. Don't, don't divide over, quote, disputable matters. What, the, what might that look like for you and me? Well, last Sunday, lots of you who have kids went out trick-or-treating for Halloween. Our own daughter sent us the cutest picture of our little five-year-old grandson dressed up as Spider-Man and our two-year-old granddaughter is some little princess and they went to some friend's house and got a whole bunch of candy and they had a good time. But I heard a well-known, respected theologian in a podcast really blasting Halloween, having its origins in demonic worship and saying a Christian should have absolutely nothing to do with it. And I've seen Christians do this over the years. Many of you, uh, oh, one of our students last week was really excited after church told me, yeah, one of our youths having a, a party, and we're going to all go dressed up as different foods. And he said, I'm going to go as bacon. I said, oh, wow, I, I'd like to see that costume. <laughs> they were having fun. They were sharing candy. There's no devil worship. There's no thought to the devil there. However, some Christians have a different view different conscience about that. To me, this is one of those disputable matters where we don't have to say, hey, the person who trick-or-treats is, is, is really, you know, worshiping the devil or something. No. And we don't say the person who's got a different conscience and thinks Christians shouldn't have anything to do with it. And I'm not going to say they're part of an evil cult. They don't understand the gospel. Have some liberty here. Paul is saying, don't pass judgment on a believer who holds different opinions from your own. Don't separate over these disputable matters. Don't elevate a disputable matter to a gospel essential. Secondly, be willing to sacrifice your own preferences in certain circumstances for the sake of others. Paul writes, for if your brother is grieved, that is distressed by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good, that is the eating of meats that you have liberty to eat, be spoken of as evil. 
because of the confusion or distress it creates for the weak believer. He goes on to write in Romans 14, verse 20, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Paul is saying, we got liberty in this. The strong believers already got liberty in this. Paul considers himself amongst the strong. Yet he says, if it's a situation where it's going to make the weak believer stumble, put, the, put your concern for the weak believer first. Set aside your own preferences for the sake of others. How might that happen? Let's say, for example, you're a Christian and you're perfectly comfortable drinking a glass of wine at dinner, beer at dinner. You've got liberty about that. You know the scripture says do not get drunk with wine, uh, but you're perfectly comfortable with moderate drinking of alcohol. Um, but you're out at dinner one night with your small group Bible study. And there's a person who's relatively new in your group, and you, you know uh, because this person's been around for a few months, that they have a terrible struggle with alcohol. There's a long history of alcoholism in this person's family, and they are struggling mightily. They've been six months without a drink. And this person is sitting next to you in the restaurant, and the, the server's coming you're about to order, and you think, wow, I'd really like to have a glass of wine. That's my normal, normal thing. Um, and hey, this person, I know they struggle. They've, they, they've just got to learn to deal with it, though. And, um, you know, they've just, they've just got to learn to deal with it. So I think it's their issue. I'm not going to worry about it. What would Paul say here? I think he'd say what verse 21 says. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. This is the real key here. Paul is calling us to put the interest of others above our own. Paul's calling us to an expression of the law of love, living out the law of love by putting the interest of another person ahead of our own. Even if you think your understanding, frankly, is a little better, is a little bit clearer in this non-essential matter. Number three. Be sure that your own attitude and actions rightly express your faith in Jesus Christ. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Now this is not saying you never talk about your faith. That's not at all what he means. He's saying be sure you can do what you do in sincere faith that it's okay for you. But whoever doubts, that is, you've you, you got some real questions of conscience about what you're doing. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What's he, what's he saying? I think he's saying this. Do what you do in sincere faith that it is really okay in the eyes of God. It is good. It is right for you in the eyes of God. Can you give thanks to God for it? Can you give thanks to God for what you're about to eat or drink? Can you receive this in good conscience? Are you at peace that Scripture teaches or allows for this as okay for you? Are you at peace with God doing this, eating this, 
drinking this, or we could say watching this. Now, that's an area where I expect in, throughout our congregation there would be a spectrum of different views and different standards as to what is right for a Christian, what is right for you. I can tell you, over my years as a believer, that standard has changed. There were things I would have watched when I first gave my life to Jesus in college that I wouldn't watch five years later, and things I would have watched five years later that I wouldn't watch today. Here's the rule that I think Paul's getting at. And this is more than a suggestion. It is a command for any believer of Jesus Christ. And boy, I wish we saw it in the Christian church today. But my hope is in prayer is that we can see it in our part of the body of Christ. We can see it at River Oaks. And this is the command. Be kind to one another. Be kind. Paul goes on to say, tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Boy, can I, can I treat that person who's got a really different opinion about some social, cultural issue, but is a Christian, can I treat that person the way God in Christ has treated me, who received me when I was sinful and lacking in understanding and ignorant and had nothing deserving of his salvation, but he received me. Can I be kind to others with that kind of kindness? As Christians, we have different views about TV shows and movies and alcohol and Halloween and the Sabbath day and masks and vaccines, and mandates, and political candidates. But none of those things are the heart of the gospel. None of those things save us. None of those redeem us. Only Jesus Christ the Lord. Only Jesus the Lord. So two questions by way of application. Number one. Is Jesus Christ my Lord? Paul stresses this in chapter 14. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Can you say that? Can you say, Jesus Christ is my Lord? I have embraced his saving work. He is the Lord of my life. Is he Lord of your attitude? Is he the Lord of your attitude? Is he even a Lord of your attitude toward those who hold different views on some of these cultural issues? Secondly, am I judging or despising another believer over something that is not a gospel essential? Let me ask you a question. Are you angry much of the time these days? If you are, 
if you're feeling angry much of the time, I have a suggestion, and that is to consider your input. Consider what you're feeding your soul much of the time, the media sources, uh, social media. So much media today actually benefits financially by inciting our anger, drawing us in. And yet Paul says as believers, we're to be different. We're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we can prove, that is, we can demonstrate, that is, we can live out the will of God, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's what God wants for us believers. It's right at the heart of Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, and it's this. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Weak believers, strong believers together. All the different opinions we bring, different viewpoints we bring. One body, one Lord, one King. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Living out the law of love one for another. Let's pray about that this morning. Father, I pray we could be a church that demonstrates the law of love as a witness to our hurting world, as a witness to our families and friends. I pray we could be a place where we love one another, where we can show the grace that you've shown us to others. We can show the kindness you've shown us to others. We can put the interest of others above ourselves. Prepare us now to celebrate communion in the way that's right in your eyes. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.